Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The following podcast contains graphic content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Previously on Unraveled, once a killer. It was a brutal attack. I always thought it was somebody she knew. Cause like it had to take a lot of anger to do what this person had done. I don't know an enemy that she had. Just doesn't make sense. The person was more of a loner and they didn't like to be out in the public or draw attention to themselves. The days went into months, and then months went into years. It was hard. They called us back and said, we have a significant match. I was kind of in shock. Like, who is it? Who is it? Do you remember first hearing about this murder of Christy Marac? Yes, I do. It was all over the news. She was raped. She was a teacher. It was horrible. Everything about it was horrible. On December 21st, 1992, Monica Whalen was a young nursing assistant at Community Hospital of Lancaster. She vividly recalls the circumstances surrounding the murder of Christy Marac. It was during the day. So, you know, that was something that really took people by surprise, I think. This is a small town. Something big like that happens, it's, it's prime time. I think everybody was all on edge after it happened. Like everyone else in East Lampeter Township, the case mystified Monica as it went unsolved for decades. She wondered, who was the monster behind this brutal killing? And would he ever be caught? 26 years later, on a routine day in June of 2018, that answer came during an unannounced visit at her workplace. One of the trainers for uh, Penn Medicine came up to me and said, Monica, you know, there's two state troopers that want to see you. And I said, state troopers? So they come, do you have a place where we can talk for like half an hour? I'm like, okay. So 
right, you know, right away, I'm like, um, what are we talking about? And they said, your ex-husband. And I was like, my ex-husband? And then that's when they finally said, okay, look, you know, we arrested him at nine o'clock this morning for, you know, and then they showed me the picture of Christy Merrick for her murder. I was in shock. I couldn't move and I was numb, shaky. And then they said 1992. And I was like, wait a minute. It dawned on me. He did this this morning and he slept with me that night. This is unbelievable. There's a whole different type of person out there killing very violently that aren't serial killers. This person was the polar opposite of everything police have been looking for. The fear is there's these one-off offenders hiding in the shadows, living a normal life. Here is somebody who's so well-known. Right under everybody's nose. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Once a Killer, a five-part podcast that investigates the mystery of one-and-done sexual thrill killers who are openly living among us. I'm Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. The naming of Christy Marac's killer was a surprise to everyone. He was only identified thanks to a new investigative technique called genetic genealogy, where law enforcement uses suspect DNA from a crime scene to make a genetic profile. That profile is then uploaded to public genealogy databases, where they look for a familial match. In this case, the results were better than they hoped for. Christine Wilson is the assistant district attorney who worked this case. A significant match had had been made in our case from a suspect from our suspect sample, it was a very, very close relative. How close of a relative was it? A sister that had been given up for adoption. So we were pretty much told from the outset that this is looking very promising. The suspect DNA and the person whose known DNA was in the database had the same mother. This narrowed the search to only three brothers. One was only six years old when Christy was murdered, so he was ruled out. The next one was 16 at the time, which technically could be a possibility. But the most likely suspect appeared to be the oldest son, who was 24 years old back in 1992. It was his name that caught Christine Wilson off guard. What is it like to get the name? It was very shocking because of this individual and who he was in the community. It was somebody that was well-known. This was someone that had an established high-profile business as a DJ and was someone that I saw growing up. First call that I make is to uh, Detective Chris Herb. You're not gonna believe this. When she first told me who it was, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This guy had somewhat of a celebrity status locally. 
he was the most sought after DJ in this region. He was just that popular. So who killed Christy? Raymond Rowe. He was also known as DJ Freeze, a well-liked local personality known for DJing at nightclubs, wedding parties, and big events. He was not the kind of person painted by the FBI profile, a document that has remained confidential, but whose contents have been shared with the family of the victim. Here's what Christie's brother Vince remembers being told. They basically said it would be somebody who wouldn't stand out in a crowd, probably reserved. At the time of Christie's murder, Rowe was not only starting his career as a DJ, he had made a name for himself as a breakdancer. This was a guy who actively sought attention. Local police also believed the killer knew Christie, and it appeared that Rowe had no identifiable connection to her. There were also no accusations of date rape in his past, which the FBI profile noted as a possibility. For Chris Erb and Christine Wilson, it didn't appear to add up. When you were doing sort of a deep dive into Raymond, did you look to see if he had any violent history, violent criminal history? He didn't have any past that, that was documented that we could see. Did that surprise you? It did. Why? Well, this was a very violent and brutal attack. So I expected there should have been other incidents. It is surprising that someone with such violent tendencies and the brutality of the crime did not, you know, commit any other homicides. Raymond Rowe, to the best of our knowledge, has only killed one time. In fact, Rowe had been living in Lancaster as a normal guy for nearly three decades since Christie's death, without any trouble from the law. Could this man really have committed such a cold-blooded rape and murder? They needed to find out for sure. Authorities would have to devise a way to collect a sample of Rowe's DNA to confirm that he was their guy. It was the spring of 2018, and the hardworking DJ, now married to his fourth wife, had agreed to DJ an event at his young stepdaughter's school. Christine Wilson offered to meet me at the site of the sting operation. So we're at the Smoketown Elementary School. This is where the undercover stakeout took place. Right, on May 31st of 2018, DJ Freeze was having uh, an event at his daughter's school. The Pennsylvania State Police Undercover Unit decided to hold an operation there. He had a photo booth set up. Oh, okay. And so one of the undercover troopers decided to start mingling with him. And she was able to talk with him uh-huh. and communicate with him. And that's where she was able to get some pictures taken uh, with him. Really? Why do you think he was entertaining her? Well, she was an attractive female. And uh, ironically, she had a picture that was taken inside the photo booth wearing a policeman's hat and along with um, a sign that said, wasn't invited. That's very cheeky. The undercover trooper said that he was very friendly and 
she stated that she was able to talk and converse with him quite a bit and that he joked around. So he's probably thinking, I'm, I'm DJing for my daughter. I'm gonna be the cool dad. This is what I do. He's flirting with the undercover officer. He has no clue what's coming. We don't believe he had any idea, and there'd be no reason to believe that he had any idea of what was going on. They were able to obtain a water bottle that he left there upon leaving the event, and also a cup with a chewed up piece of gum. Raymond Rowe's DNA was successfully collected. Cold case detective Chris Erb recalls what happened next. It was sent out to a DNA lab with the state police, and they did an analysis, and it was a few days after that, they came back, and everybody was gathered into a conference room. At first, everything was quiet, because the uh, lab technician was saying, okay, and, and the results are, and everyone was silent. <laughs> and he said, you've got your guy. And then we just screamed and yelled, inhalation. I can't imagine how that must have felt. I think there are a few choice words that we probably can't air said there, but it was a good day. The confirmation had finally given this crime a solution that was long overdue. But now, there were many unanswered questions. Why had this seemingly normal individual committed this murder? Why had he targeted Christy Marac? And how was he able to live so comfortably in the same small town for so long holding that horrifying secret. Raymond Rowe was arrested on June 25th, 2018. He was out mowing his grass that afternoon. And we thought that was the most opportune time to affect uh, the arrest in a very safe manner. Uniformed officers moved in and they effected the arrest right there in his front yard. I drove up and I read him the warrant, told him he was under arrest for the homicide of Christy Mirak. And he said, who? And I said, Christy Mirak. It was from December 21st of 1992. He was in disbelief. He said, are you sure you got the right person? And I said, well, if you want to talk about that at the police station, we can talk about that later. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure. You're probably beaming with excitement. Yes. Police hoped that the damning evidence would prompt a confession out of Raymond Rowe, and he would help them fill in all the blanks from that event back in 1992. It didn't go the way they wanted. So you have him at a table in front of you. How does the conversation go? We interviewed him for about three and a half hours at the Lancaster City Police Station. He denied knowing her. He denied having anything to do with her assault and death. He would just, I'm baffled, I'm confused. I wouldn't date somebody like that. I said, well, I'm not saying you dated her. I said you killed her. And I said, look, your DNA, your semen was everywhere. It was on her. It was in her. It was on the carpet. I mean, it was everywhere. And he just kept denying, well, I'm baffled, I'm confused.
While detectives continued to question Roe, Vince Morak got a phone call 26 years after his sister's murder. My phone rang and I saw that number. I knew something was odd because I haven't seen that number in years. But I had it in my phone. So when I answered that phone, I was kind of shocked. They made an arrest. I just kind of was just caught off guard. It probably didn't feel real. Yeah, it was such a relief. I felt something that I never felt in all those years. It was just kind of like, God, that feels so good. There were parts of me during this investigation, is this person dead? You know, maybe we'll never find the person because of that. What was going through your head? I was ecstatic, you know, inside. Like, this is finally happening after all these years. This is like some divine intervention. When Vince first heard the name Raymond Rowe, it didn't ring a bell. He had lived away from the area long enough that he was unfamiliar with the local celebrity of DJ Freeze. He would be the only one. The rest of the community was left to grapple with the shocking truth that this party-time DJ was a vicious killer happily living among them. In one person, was it harder than any other? I was numb, shaky, like, this can't be true. I couldn't process it. That's because she not only knew Raymond Rowe, she married him just months after the murder. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. 
StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. The identification of Raymond Rowe in 2018 as Christy Morak's killer left investigators scratching their heads. He had never been identified as a suspect. He had no known connection to Christie and no history of violence. Is it possible that someone close to him could have seen things in him that no one else could? Before announcing the news of Rose's arrest, state troopers wanted to pursue these questions, and they knew just whom to talk to. They came to my job around noon. I had no idea why they were there to see me. I'm like, what are we talking about? And they said, your ex-husband. And I was like, my ex-husband? Monica Whalen had been divorced from Roe for more than 20 years. But if there was anyone that knew the Roe of 1992, it would be her. They questioned me for three hours. From my sexual encounters, from basically, did he ever hit you? Really, really strong questions and very uncomfortable questions. What do you think they were trying to get at? I don't know. We didn't have like weird sex or anything like that. Like he wasn't sex crazed or, do you know what I'm saying? Do you think that he was hiding that part of him that he could have been sex crazed or or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. They finally said, okay, look, you know, we arrested him at nine o'clock this morning for, you know, and then they show me the picture of Christy Merrick for her murder. They put the picture in front of you. Did they say her name first? Yes. And then they said 1992. And I was like, wait a minute. I was living with him. We lived at Chestnut, you know, so all this starts going in my mind. After that happened, the press conference happened, and they were going through the murder and how it was done. And I just got sick to my stomach, and I, I had to go to the bathroom and throw up. I just couldn't believe it, first of all, and didn't want to believe it. But then, at the same time, I was like, well, that could have been me. Monica met Raymond Rowe in 1989, when she was 19 and he was 21. One night, she and her friends had decided to check out one of Lancaster's clubs. It was the weekend. We just came from the beach. We wanted just to go out on the town, and we went to 
the ice house to go dancing. At the end of the night, I guess somebody introduced us. We were just talking and, and we kind of hit it off. Was he a good looking guy? Mm-hmm, yeah, he was charming. We exchanged phone numbers and then we started dating. This new flame would prove to be exactly what Monica was looking for. He was kind. He was very interested in what I had to say. He made me feel important. You know, those are the kind of things that you want from a boyfriend. We liked the outdoors, so we would do a lot of dating, doing something outside. We started living together really early, like six months into dating. Over the next couple of years, their relationship continued to grow, as did their careers. Roe would prove to be an ambitious talent, making a name for himself under the stage name DJ Freeze. He was Freeze because he used to break dance, and there was this stop where he would freeze, and then, so that I think that's where he got it. He was like the sole DJ at, um, at a nightclub downtown, Chameleon Nightclub, which was very popular at the time. And he would get, you know, jobs like almost every weekend. The Chameleon Club was one of the popular music venues in the area, playing host to local acts, touring bands, and now a slick young DJ. In a documentary on the club that was produced in 2011, Rowe recalled his history with the venue and its owner, Rich Ruoff. I was breakdancing a lot all over town, and we'd go to different bars and establishments and try to get into breakdance. We uh, went to a place called the Chameleon Club, and I didn't know Rich Ruoff from a guy that was walking down the street. I just wanted to get in there and breakdance. So our crew went in there and uh, he let us break dance and I think he even paid us like 10 bucks. Who would have thought that, you know, later I'd be the head DJ at that club. But Raymond Rowe wouldn't stop there. He would use that platform to seize new opportunities as well. He used to make tapes for aerobics instructors at the time because aerobics was really big at that time. Weddings started, you know, calling him and so at that time, he was pretty popular. Was there ever any signs that something was off with him? I never saw it. My cousin said that he would, like, talk down to me in front of people. My sister actually would say that he seemed, like, controlling. And what she meant was, like, he would, you know, he would tell me he didn't like the way that shirt looked on me or something like that. Even my best friends have said, you know, there were certain things about him that they didn't like. But I was in love, so I didn't really, you know, notice it. What were his friends like? Most of our friends were like my high school buddies and stuff like that, so. So he didn't have a ton of friends? No. Did you find it odd that he only had a couple of friends? I guess you can say it was odd, yeah, but... I didn't care about it like I should have. Meanwhile, Monica was working at a hospital, a job that often had long and irregular hours. But she and Roe loved the time they spent together over three years of dating. It was 1992, just a few months before Christy Marac would be murdered, when Roe popped the question. 
We went camping to Raystown Lake. We used to love going to Raystown Lake a lot. And it was, it was in a tent <laughs> where he asked me to marry him. And did he have a ring? Mm-hmm. He was romantic, yeah. This would be the second marriage for Roe, who had married young and had a daughter prior to meeting Monica. As the Christmas holiday drew near, Monica was looking forward to becoming both a wife and a stepmom. Getting ready for Christmas. We had a tree up and we had presents under the tree. I had presents for my stepdaughter. But the happy vibes of the season would get a horrifying interruption when the community of East Lampeter Township was jolted by Christy Morak's murder. It was horrible. It was all over the news. You know, this is a small town. If something big like that happens, it's, it's prime time. Do you remember Ray talking to you about it? I remember Ray stressing upon being careful for my safety. Raymond Rose seemed particularly concerned about Monica during this frightening time. She had taken a part-time job at the Chameleon Club to supplement her income. And he seemed worried about how that might expose her to some bad elements. Sometimes I would bartend, or I would do coat check, or I would take tickets in the front. So, you know, working at, at night during that time, so he wanted me to be protected. He even bought me a gun. He bought me a gun for my protection. Raymond Rowe was playing the role of a frightened citizen well. He even took part in a public event supporting Christie. We did this thing called Stop the Violence. We made t-shirts and everything. It was at the Chameleon. We had people sing, we had people rap, you know, and stuff like that. It was big to do. And he DJed? Yeah. Roe apparently saw no need to lay low. As brazen and careless as his crime had been, he had gotten away with it and fooled everyone. As the new year dawned and months passed by, Monica planned her wedding with Raymond. We got married in October of 93. We actually got married in the church, St. Mary's Catholic Church, and our reception was at the Chameleon Nightclub. Monica spent the next few years trying to build her marriage, completely unaware that she was living with a cold-blooded killer. Did his demeanor change at all? No, you, you do kind of like rethink, how do you really know a person? He really did that and, and then I married him like a few months after that and we went on living like nothing. Monica's marriage to Raymond Rowe wouldn't last. After three years, he decided he wanted out. Monica was heartbroken. I didn't want to separate. He, he's the one who wanted to separate. So it was, um, it was hard for me. He wanted to do his own thing and didn't want to be married anymore. They went their separate ways, but occasionally crossed paths in this tight-knit community. It seemed, in every way, a normal post-marriage relationship. Until that day in 2018, when authorities informed Monica and the rest of the world what her ex-husband had done. Everybody was talking about what a monster and stuff like that, but that's not how I knew him. I started having that guilt, like I should have been the one who died. 
I ended up getting a therapist to, just to help process it. Christy Barak was 25 years old when she was murdered. Raymond Rowe remained free for 26 years before he was caught, longer than Christy had been alive. And the identification of Rowe reverberated as a frightening reality of this previously unrecognized type of killer. Someone who commits a violent murder, then goes on living with their secret within the same community. Billy and I spent some time in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to meet with people who knew Raymond Rowe. We wanted to find out, how did he blend into society for so long and keep such a horrible, dark secret? What did your brain, your heart, stomach do when you heard Raymond Rowe? 20,000 thoughts at once. To hear it was him, that was just unbelievable. Given the fact that this was such a huge personality in this area, people were just shocked, just shocked. Christina Butler, who was a TV news reporter in the Lancaster area for 18 years, felt a particular connection to the case. She was in seventh grade when the murder happened. It was the year after I left the elementary school. I had neighbors and good friends who had her that year as a teacher, so she was still pretty fresh in my mind. And was the idea and the feeling that there would be answers at some point? I don't think as a child it ever would have occurred to us that we would never know what happened. But then as time went on, okay, now it's the five-year anniversary. Now it's the 10-year anniversary. At some point, you start to accept that maybe there you'll never know who did it. Being a reporter and knowing her as more than just a story that came up every December 21st, I always felt connected or pushed to bring attention to things like the billboards. I became friends with her brother, Vince, so he had told me the billboards were going up. It always felt reassuring when those things happened, those reminders, because it, it showed you, okay, it's still out there, that we're not giving up all hope. As a reminder, the Merak family had put up a billboard in 2007, hoping to drum up new leads in Christie's murder. While no arrests were made as a result, it did keep Christie's name alive. 20 years after her murder, if you said Christy Merak in Lancaster County, people knew who you were talking about. People knew that murder because of the, the gruesomeness of it and just the so many questions surrounding it. As a reporter, Christina also knew pretty much any person in town who had some public influence. One of those people was Raymond Rowe. I knew this DJ Freeze. We'd been at the same functions. We'd been at media events together. He DJed at clubs. He would guest host on radio shows. He DJed several of my friends' weddings. Were there sort of, from, from a, at a glance, attractive things about his personality? He was a popular guy. He was a popular guy. He could be charismatic when he needed to. He could be professional when he needed to be. Christina kept up with Rowe's career as he expanded his reach beyond the local scene. I know he tried to really branch out in New York City and Philadelphia, and he did a lot in Baltimore. He always seemed very driven in his field. He loved being the center of attention. Knowing that it was this person who was the polar opposite of everything police had been looking for, that was what was so jarring. 
This isn't somebody who shied away from the public. This is somebody who actively went out and tried to get as much attention as possible. Raymond Rowe had defied the profile and escaped detection. He was the literal definition of hiding in plain sight. He had also managed to go nearly three decades without letting word of his crime slip. Or had he? Maybe he did let something slip, but the person hearing it simply didn't understand it at the time. It would have been about 1998 to 2004, when I was a real regular at this coffee shop. People really got into a lot of interesting conversations there, and uh, you know, you met a lot of people, and, and I met Ray at that coffee shop. Mary Haverstick was a filmmaker who was born and raised in Lancaster. As an entertainer, she enjoyed meeting others who worked in the performing arts. Raymond Rowe was among those acquaintances. He makes a good impression. He would jump into conversations about the local art scene or what he was up to with his DJ work. He was a very mannerly guy. He was a lot more Clark Kent than a villain. You certainly thought, well, there's a young guy who's really got it together a lot more than maybe other musicians or artists you knew. One evening, Mary was at the coffee shop chatting with a few friends, and Roe joined the group. As she recalls, that's when things got interesting. The conversation meandered around to had any of us ever had, you know, sowed wild oats or had any wild times in our younger days. Ray confessed, he said, well, I used to be a real little hoodlum. And then, of course, I'm an interviewer with filmmaker. I go, well, like, oh, come on, Ray, it couldn't have been that bad, but like, what? And he got really serious and said, no, like, I really did some things. And then I point blanked him. I was like, well, like, what'd you do? At that moment, there was a pall that went over that room that I was like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have asked that. And I mean, he made a beeline for the door and exited. It was like something went wrong. And then he had to get out of there as fast as he could. I mean, we conjectured, what could it be? And of course, we thought, well, he maybe did drugs. Uh, maybe he burglarized something. You know, maybe he was in juvenile detention. None of us could speculate that it would be a murder or that it would be the most brutal murder that ever occurred in Lancaster County. I mean, that was the furthest thing from our mind. Mary would recall that conversation on the heels of Rose's arrest in 2018. We were just like, Ray Rowe, like, there's a, you know, that could be a common name. That's probably not him. Um, but the mugshot came across, and it was him. I wonder if there was a part of him that almost wanted to speak of it. He could have just ignored that conversation, said, ah, I don't know, I used to drink or carry on. He, he could have said something small, but instead he touched that nerve. And what did the revelation that Ray Rowe actually was capable of such brutality sort of shift within you about human nature? Ray was so courtly and mannerly in the way that he conducted himself that it does make you wonder in retrospect if there was a certain wolf in sheep's clothing there. If he wasn't being overly mannerly, overly genteel to keep himself below the radar screen because Ray kept it under wraps and he always was so polite. Raymond Rowe had pulled the wool over everyone's eyes, from the police to his friends to even his romantic partner. But DNA doesn't lie. Was his whole persona just an act? 
Was he putting on a show for 26 years to hide his guilt? As we mentioned last episode, police believe the killer knew Christy. Her brother Vince agreed. My gut feeling was it was somebody she knew the whole time. I never swayed on that. After Roe was arrested, however, none of Christy's friends could connect those dots. It was a baffling mystery, as her friend Kim Alpert explains. I don't think anybody saw a connection there. Like even her friends, her group of real close friends, I don't think that they ever made that connection. And I'm gonna tell you, I literally dropped to my knees because I just could not believe it and just cried because it had been so long that it was just all of a sudden it's what you wanted to always hear and then when you hear it you're like is this for real here is somebody who's so well known right under everybody's nose so why had Roe targeted Christy Marac had he seen her at the chameleon club one night and then decided to track her down when detective Chris Erb looked into it further he found a simpler connection not through Rose's nightlife job at the Chameleon, but through the day job he had at the time. He was working in, in an industrial park which was adjacent to Christie's apartment complex. It was actually on the same road that she lived on, only on the other side of her apartment complex. The route of travel he would have taken into work would have been driving right past her house. Detective Chris Erb showed us the layout of the surrounding streets at Christie's townhome. Does this road cut straight through to another? Yes. This goes to um, Pitney Road, which is it was a back a back way uh, for city residents to come into the complex and go over to following the same road, William Penn Way, over into the Greenfield Industrial Complex, which is several businesses, industrial-type businesses, and some commercial, other commercial properties that many people are, are working. And uh, so this was a major route of travel for, for those working in that complex. So do you think Raymond could have been just organically driving through here, either you know, to or from work, and spotted yeah. her? I know he worked day shift from 8 to 4 in the summer months. Obviously, she was a teacher, so in those summer months when he was going to and from work, he would have driven by here, and, and driving in this direction to Pitney Road, he would have clear view of her and her roommate sitting on that bank sunbathing. Would Christy and her roommate spend time outside over here? On occasion, you know, in good weather, they would, they would sunbathe out there which is in clear view of any passing cars on William Penn Way here. Rose's commute could have revealed where Christy lived. He also seemed to know Christy's schedule, specifically when her roommate Mary left for work. That morning she had left at 7, and around 7.15, 7.20 is when the neighbors over here saw the male figure getting out of the car and approaching the house. So that was a very short time after she left. So. That's an indication to me that the person probably would have known the schedules of the, the residents of that apartment. Could Roe have spent time watching Christie's townhome and learning her routine before he went into work each morning? 
According to Monica, his fiance at the time, it was theoretically possible. At that point, I was working a lot at the hospital. You know, I worked seven to three every day. Actually, I would leave first, so I'm out of the house by 6.30 or 6.45 to be at work. Monica's schedule left a window of time in the morning where Roe could have been stalking Christy. Could he also be the peeping Tom that her roommate had spotted checking out their residence? If so, this could all explain how Roe had honed in on Christy without knowing her personally. It was also confirmed that Roe owned a white Toyota Celica at the time of the murder, meshing with witness reports. Roe's innocent act would only last so long. The evidence against him was overwhelming. And in a possible bid to avoid the death penalty, he pled guilty to a disturbing list of charges. Here's Detective Chris Erb. He was charged with the homicide, which was a first-degree murder. That was a life sentence. He was also charged with three counts of rape and two counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse and one count of burglary. And so for those six felony guilty pleas, he got 10 to 20 years for each one of those. So his sentence was life plus 60 to 120 years. Achieving justice in this case was a monumental victory, but it also revealed a mind-blowing truth. Raymond Rowe was not the kind of killer that profilers had accounted for. Many killers murder someone they know for any number of reasons, but sexually motivated murders committed by strangers are much more rare and nuanced. The common line of thinking was that these killers wouldn't be able to stop. They are driven by intense fantasies and desires, and these impulses are strong enough to prompt them to kill again and become serial killers. Profilers were regularly built around this premise. But Raymond Rowe didn't follow that path. He acted on his deadly fantasy once, then seemingly got his urge under control or found that the reality didn't match up to the fantasy. Was Roe some kind of unicorn in the world of murderers? Or had genetic genealogy revealed a canary in the coal mine? How many more one-and-done killers might be freely living among us? A quick note here about genetic genealogy. The Golden State Killer case we told you about in our last episode was the first one to ever get an arrest using this technology. Raymond Rowe was arrested two months later. In the three years since that time, Genetic genealogy has been used to solve almost 200 more cases. And as we'll show you in our next episode, these one-and-done killers are everywhere. Next time on Unraveled, Once a Killer. How does it feel to know that you were so close with someone who was capable of such monstrous acts? It scares you because you know what? He could have done the same to us. It was in a remote area. There was a zip tie found up by the road and they found a shell casing. They asked us to try to identify the body. Something obviously you never, never forget. It appeared that somebody had experience that did this. He carried a rape murder kit with him and he was out hunting. I was always hopeful that it would be solved, knowing the DNA evidence that was there. He says, I've narrowed it down to one name. And I'm like, 
I don't believe this. What's the guy's name? Did you ever think he could be capable of such horrible violence? You know, I... I, I would have never seen it, no. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, Jeff Kuntz, and myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. The executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing is by Eric Smith. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Make sure to check for episode three next week wherever you get your podcasts. And it helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy. Thank you for listening, for your support. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.